This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill är så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Welcome everybody to episode 19 of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski. And with me, as always, is Brian Calm, and you know what he says. Let's stop speculating and get prognosticating. There we go. Boom. That's how you start a show, guys. Carlson's God. By the way, that's what the song means. Brian drops a new catchphrase, and we are off, and there's no bigger headline than the Olympics, because that's all that's happening right it's now. It's the only headline. It's the only headline, and we're not going to talk about the results. Yes, there's the gold medal game coming up tomorrow. By the time you've listened to this... It's already happened. Canada or Sweden won. Woohoo. No one cares because we're talking about fantasy hockey. <laughs> so let's talk about the real important thing, which is how the Olympics are going to affect your fantasy hockey team. And there's no better place to start than with the injuries. So we're going to go through a number of injuries. And for each one, we'll talk about which players we think they hurt and which players we think they benefit. And of course, we have to start with the biggest one of all. John Tavares, out for the season. Can you believe it? I can't believe it, and neither can Islanders GM Gar Snow, who suddenly wants the IOC and the International Ice Hockey Federation to reimburse his season ticket holders. So I wonder if we fantasy hockey owners can make a legitimate claim to be reimbursed for our league dues by the IOC. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have Kyle Ocposo. So for sure, it's not as bad as the guy in my league who has John Tavares and sucks to be you, Justin. But I'm hurt too. Ocposo was riding the gravy train. Yeah, and I guess now we'll know to what extent he was riding the gravy train. He's going to be tested, isn't he? Yeah. So he's an example, I think, of a player who is hurt by Tavares' injury, as likely is Thomas Vanek. For as long as he's still in New York. Yes. But a player that might benefit from the injury is Brock Nelson, who... I saw on Rotowire might be moved to the top line to take Tavares's place. So that would obviously be a big jump for Brock Nelson, who pretty much has done nothing this year, right, Brian? Well, it's a big opportunity because to date, his most recent line mates, at least in the last 10 games before the Olympic break, he was centering a line with Cal Clutterbuck and Michael Grabner and also playing with Josh Bailey and Colin McDonald. None of those guys are going to set the world on fire unless, of course, Grabner is playing at the Olympics. Anyway, I, we don't really know what to expect from him. I, he has 50 games played in his career in the NHL. He's got 19 points, a favorable shooting percentage. Before getting to the NHL, he was a first-round draft pick, 30th overall in 2010. And his first year of pro hockey in the AHL, he put up 
52 points in 66 games for Bridgeport, which is good, but not necessarily an indication of what he's going to be capable of in the NHL. But it's definitely a name if he does get that spot. He's playing with a finisher, Thomas Vanek and Kyle Poso, who I guess we're going to really figure out who he is now. So yeah, I guess I would definitely not recommend pick up Brock Nelson right now, but definitely put him on your watch list and see what happens when the Islanders resume play. If he's getting top line minutes and on the power play and you're in a relatively deep league, he's definitely someone to at least keep an eye on. For sure. And while we're talking about Tavares, you know what they say, when one door closes, another door opens. And while that's not actually necessarily true in any given situation, in this situation it is, and it's a good thing that this happened right before your trade deadline. If you look at the top team in the league, or a top five team that's going to compete to win this year, and they have Tavares on their roster, and you're in a keeper league, Now is your chance. You have leverage in a trade discussion where you can acquire John Tavares. The person at the top has worked hard all year. You can give him like an equivalent player, like a top 10 or top 15 score. But there's no debating that John Tavares, I think for years to come, will be a top five, maybe even top three keeper player. And this is a chance for you to get him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I could see an offer of like Jonathan Taves and a draft pick and you get John Tavares. So that player keeps his playoff run going. He's going to potentially win the championship this year. And yeah, big upgrade for you. And if you can't get Tavares, it's still a person in your league who's vulnerable that you could try to offer players for in exchange for picks. Maybe that player wasn't really interested in giving up picks because he thought his team was good enough, but now he sees he has a hole. Yeah, this is definitely where you swoop in. Even if you're a bubble team, you know, and you think you might be able to compete this year, look for the long-term health. There's no chance, really, unless you draft someone and wait three years for them to mature. There's no chance to get a guy like this on your Keeper League roster, aside from situations like these. And Elon, you said maybe the guy offering Taves should throw in a pick. I actually think the guy offering Taves should ask for more for Tavares because he's getting nothing back. And I feel like he's got, like I said, all the leverage in this trade deal. The person in the league lead, like this is their chance to win the league, especially in keeper leagues, which are like perennially competitive and you need to win. You want to win every you know few years at, at the very least. I think the person who has Tavares should be desperate enough to offer a little more because they're trading away nothing for the rest of the season in return for like an equivalent player, like just a straight up replacement like Jonathan Taves. Yeah, it's a great point. So yeah, definitely everyone check your league, see who has Tavares. If you are the one who has Tavares, we're sorry that we don't have any help for you on that regard, aside from maybe look at Brock Nelson. (laughs) Let's move on to our next injury. Paul Martin out for the Pittsburgh Penguins for at least the next few weeks. Bad news for his owners that were waiting for him since he was already out for most of the season, but he came back. He was playing with Latang on the power play. Latang's injured. Paul Martin's injured. So obviously that begs the question, which players benefit from this opening on defense for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Well, for like the fourth episode in a row, we're going to say his name, Oli Mata. We brought it up in a previous context when Latang was injured, and we thought, well, Niskanen and Martin will probably take care of most of Latang's extra power play time and offensively friendly minutes. But now that Martin's, well, I shouldn't say out of the way, but now that Martin's injured, Mata continues to move up. As of the final round of Olympic Games, he was the fourth leading defensive scorer in the Olympics. So that's impressive. He kept it up from what he was doing in the NHL. And it's just more reason. I mean, I think we've already hyped him enough. Like you needed another reason to pick him up. Well, here it is. Mm -hmm. And for those of you in shallow leagues, obviously, this also increases the value of someone like Niskanen, who was already getting a lot of time. But now he's 
guaranteed, even if Olimata were to have been threatening him, now there's no doubt that Niskanen is going to be on that top power play for Pittsburgh for the next while. Good point. Okay, another player who got injured, Matt Zuccarello on the New York Rangers. So I guess not as high profile as the other two, but still he's been having a really good year. Yeah, 15 goals, 28 assists for 43 points on the season. He's also got a plus five and 128 shots on goal. And that's actually all with a really brutal October where he had only three points in 11 games. Since then, he's been nearly a point-per-game player. So that will hurt anybody who had the foresight to draft him or pick him up even after such a tough start. Yeah, and to make matters even worse for his owners, he was really hot going into the Olympics. He was riding a six-game point streak, two goals and six assists in his last six games. So a really sucky time for him to go down. But... We can't do anything for you Zuccarello owners except try to mention a player that maybe you could pick up instead of him. So, Brian, where was he on the Rangers' depth chart and who's going to be taking his place? Well, believe it or not, he was doing all that mostly playing on the third line, at least for the last 10 games. He was playing alongside Derek Brassard and Benoit Pouliot. Hmm, in that case, it almost sounds like this is bad news for Brassard and Pouliot, who were playing with a hot player and now they no longer have the chance to do so. Yeah, it might be. And, and going down the Rangers' depth chart, I mean, unless they shuffle their lines completely, I, the, the logical successor to Zuccarello would be Dominic Moore, who I think has occasional hot stretches in fantasy, but I don't think is somebody you can really even think of looking to if you're trying to replace Zuccarello, even if you are the guy who had Zuccarello on your team. So yeah, I guess in that case, if you're a Zuccarello owner, definitely it looks like you're going to have to look outside of the Rangers. If you're a Pouliot or Brassard owner, keep a close eye on them. And yeah, like you say, though, if the lines get shuffled, maybe someone like Brassard or Pouliot moves up. But basically, there's not much of a silver lining here. This is just bad news all around. Man, I just have to say I'm so excited for games to start again. Like, I guess the Olympics are fun, but to be honest, I much rather would have preferred NHL play to be happening. Hopefully no one will write in angry to me about that. No, I agree. I'm excited. I've already set my lineup for Wednesday. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on from injuries and talk about the influx of players that are going to be coming back to play when the NHL comes back. So there's a whole bunch of players who were injured for a long time and now are going to be coming back. So it's a very exciting time for their owners and for people who see them popping up in their free agent pools. Let's start with maybe the biggest name coming back, Marion Gabrick on Columbus is expected to play when the team resumes play next week. He's in an interesting situation, I think, because Columbus has been managing just fine without them, even though he's supposed to be their leading scorer, having been the centerpiece of the Rick Nash trade. Turns out that Brandon Dubinsky has done a fine job of making it worthwhile for them, not completely on his own, but quite a bit on his own, along with Artem Anisimov. And the thing with Gabrik is that there's, you know, a lot of talk about him being traded at the deadline, he's made it clear that he wants to stay in Columbus, but the team has not committed to not trading him. They just say they want to do what's best for him. With that said, I wonder how quick they'll be to put him in the top six. I feel like for their own team success, they don't need to do that. But if they are planning on trading him, maybe it's a good way to showcase him and get as much back as they can for him. Yeah, I just can't imagine a team having a healthy Marion Gabrick and not having him play top line minutes and top power play minutes. Yeah, that's it. I would err on the side that he will get that time and he will have a chance to put up some points. But just keep in mind that they aren't going to rely on him as much as I think they were planning on relying on him at the beginning of the season. Mm -hmm. Sounds like we're kind of giving like a double-sided advice because on one hand, you could think of it like 
he's coming back to this super hot team and he's one of their top players. So he's going to be able to benefit from all these other players who are doing well and do well himself. But like you say, on the other side, maybe there's not as much room for him as there was before. And I'm not sure they would make room necessarily. I mean, he's having a relatively unimpressive season. He's played 30 games for Columbus since being traded and put up 20 points, five goals and seven assists in 18 games this season. But over his last 10, he has only three points and only one goal. So yeah, I mean, definitely if Gabrick is an available free agent in your pool and you're not in like the shallowest of pools, I think he's a pretty safe bet to pick up. But like Brian says, maybe not a guarantee to be the Marion Gabrick from a couple years ago. We'll see. I would like nothing more for that to happen, even though he's not on my team. Okay, let's move on to another player coming back. Someone who I'm happy to see coming back since he's on my team. Evander Kane finally looks like his hand is back to normal. This guy, you know, I drafted him really early in my pool, thinking he would be one of the centerpieces of my team. And he's been in and out of the lineup, as everybody knows. But even when he was in the lineup, there was a stretch where he wasn't doing that well. Overall, he has 42 games played. 15 goals and 14 assists for 29 points. So definitely not setting the world on fire, though in his last four-game stretch that he played before his most recent injury, he had four points. He definitely has the ability to be a super effective player on your team. So I guess my question to you, Brian, is just what do you expect from him for the remainder of the season? Well, I'm not sure things were too strong between him and the old coach. I mean, although that's all like media speculation, But let's just look. He's played only four games since Paul Maurice took over as the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets. In those four games, he has a goal and three assists. I think that's a promising sign. I think he'll be trusted. He even, he threw seven hits in one game for what that's worth. I think you can count on him to be the Evander Kane you drafted. I'm not worried about inconsistency. I think his season has had too many like weird twists and turns to really take too much of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing him play a stretch of, you know, 15, 20, 25 games in a row this year to see what he's really capable of. I don't think you or anyone else with him on their team is going to be disappointed. All right. Well, that's good news to hear. Next up on the list of star players coming back from injury, let's go to Miku Koivu on the Minnesota Wild. He's been out since January 4th. Before he got injured, he was having a pretty good season, 44 games, 8 goals and 27 assists, so 35 points in 44 games. He's definitely a star in the league. I assume he's going to come back and play on the first line in Minnesota. I assume that too. You know, his production had actually really been spotty. Since pretty much late November, for about a month before he got injured, he was only scoring, you know, every few games and leaving two or three games between point production. But of course, he got injured right at the tail end of a five-game point streak where he had three multi-point games. I wouldn't worry too much. I would worry a little bit about the way, I don't know, Minnesota just doesn't seem to be too strong offensively. They seem to be going into a shell a lot lately. And I think the interesting thing to me is to see Michael Granlund really emerged at the Olympics as being like a top number one center on Team Finland. And I wonder if he is going to give Koivu a run for his money at the top line spot because Granlund was holding it down after Koivu got injured and doing quite well in that space too. Yeah, that's true. He was playing with Parisi and Pominville, that really nice spot to be in. I assume Koivu at least is going to get a chance to play back on that top line. So at least in the short term, you have to imagine that Granlin takes a hit. And if you own Granlin, you shouldn't expect him to continue the numbers that he was giving you before the Olympics. 
But yeah, that being said, maybe he'll be able to fight his way back since he's doing really well lately. Yeah, I don't know. This is a team that had Charlie Coyle on the first line not producing for a very long time. I kind of feel like they'll be patient with Granlin there. And Koivuono should temper their expectations for the beginning and not just get too down on him if he does end up playing on the second line for a while. All right, well, something to monitor and very interesting. So a reason why potentially Miku Koivu coming back won't be so great if he doesn't play on that top line with Parisi and Pominville. Man, there's so many people on this list. Let's break this up a little bit. Let's switch over to some goalies, at least. Two goalies who look like they're going to come back, maybe not right away, but at some point during the regular season are Thomas Vokun and Pekarine. So let's start with Vokun, as it looks like he might be coming back sooner. He was actually threatening Marc-Andre Fleury. He took over from him, you know, in the playoffs last year, and a lot of people thought Vokun had a good chance to play a lot of games this season. Obviously, that was quickly voided when he had his injury and didn't play one game in the season. Marc-Andre Fleury's been amazing, but you have to imagine if Vokun comes back, he should get some starts, and a start on the Penguins often leads to a win. Yeah, I'd be keeping a close eye on him. I mean, nothing is guaranteed at this point that he's going to come back, but in an interview I read, he does sound pretty determined. He really wants to play this year, and it's important what you said. I think it's important not to have a very short memory because you don't have to go back too long to remember that the Penguins didn't quite lose faith in Marc-Andre Fleury. At least they didn't claim to publicly, but Vokun took over the net during the playoffs, and going into the season— before Vokun was injured long-term with his blood clot problem, there was a lot of chatter about whether, you know, they should let him take the reins. And you said Marc-Andre Fleury has been amazing, and yes, he's been very good, as he has over the last, you know, four seasons. His numbers are still in line. He's got a 2.23 goals against average, 919 save percentage, and 31 wins. But like you said, he plays for Pittsburgh. I'd be very interested to see what happens with him on a different team. I think he might be league average in reality. And Vokun, well, we don't know. It's been a long time since he's played. He's getting older. And I don't know if he's any better than league average right now. But I would definitely like to have him on my team in the IR space as maybe like a third or fourth goalie in my fantasy league playoffs. Yeah, and I guess also if you're going to be having an actual NHL playoffs pool, maybe Vokun will be a good sleeper pick. Yeah, if he does come back and the Penguins are bold enough to remove Flurry from the net, they sound totally reticent to do it. But I think they should, and I'm not alone in that. Okay, and how about Rene? So he's been practicing. He's played in two practices in a row. Still, of course, no timetable of when he will return. But my question is, if he does return, do you think you'd expect him to be this elite goalie that he was, you know, for the past few seasons? Like, he is coming back to play on Nashville, after all. What do you mean by that? Well, Nashville is last in the Central Division. They have 59 games played and 25 wins. So they're not a team that's winning a lot this year. They're probably not going to make the playoffs. So that's why I ask how valuable Rene would be when he's coming back on this team. You know, maybe it's like a Ryan Miller situation. Well, Nashville, I feel like, is in a bit of a weird place because we all think of them as a defensively stingy team. But between the lockout shortened season last year... And this year, they're actually in the bottom third of the league in goals against average. And maybe this year that's somewhat attributable to guys like Hutton and Mizanich and Dubnik briefly being in the net for them instead of Rene. But I feel like their defensive system isn't quite as effective as it has been in the past. And we'll see if that's really true when Rene does take the net and brings in, you know, his above average goaltending capability. Also, I think it's important to note that, you know, he was injured nine games into the year, coming back in game 70 
is kind of a tall order. And if your whole fantasy season is relying on him coming back and carrying you through your last two weeks of playoff matchups, you might want to start looking at your plan B if you haven't already, which you really should have. So I guess, Brian, how does that translate to advice? Like if you own Rene, what should you be doing? If you don't own Rene, should you be going after him? In a keeper league, I mean, you should have been going after him all season. So if you haven't already, it's probably not a good time to start doing it now. If you have Rene and you can find someone who's interested in having him as a keeper next year, I don't know. I don't think he's going to be much value to you. Or even in a one-year league, if somebody thinks that he's going to change their team, you can sort of be like, "Eh, I don't know, and try and get someone of roughly equivalent value back in return who has been playing all year and you can count on to put up at least league average numbers. All right, so Brian, let me pose this scenario for you. You've been talking about how Ben Bishop is the goalie you want to have. I'm going to interject before you even ask the question, Ben Bishop. You would rather have Bishop than Rene? What about if it's a keeper pool and we're talking about your goalie next year? So that's a tough one. And that would require a lot of thinking on my part. I would still like, I don't know, I'm really big on Ben Bishop right now. I really probably need to take the off season to think about it. But if you had to make me decide right now, I would probably stick with Rene. Mm -hmm. But even the fact that that's a question that someone would think about, that would have been unheard of going into this season. Yeah, that says a lot about how the seasons have gone for both of them. Let's go back to a player, uh, Stephen Weiss. He's been gone for most of the year. He's like such an interesting case. Two seasons ago, he had 57 points in 80 games. So, you know, definitely not league leading, but a very solid player who was owned in pretty much all leagues. Last year, he plays 17 games, gets only four points, and then gets injured for the season. Then everyone was talking about going to this season that he might be a really good sleeper since he had such a bad previous season. So everyone, you should grab Stephen Weiss. He's going to be playing on Detroit, a much better team than Florida. So he comes back, gets four points in 26 games, even worse. Then he got injured. Now he's finally coming back again. Brian, are we going to be seeing the Stephen Weiss from the past couple seasons or the Stephen Weiss we all used to know and love? I feel like it's going to be the Stephen Weiss from the past couple seasons. It's been interesting to follow because a lot of people have tried to find reasons for why he's just disappeared off a cliff. And, you know, looking even deep at his stats and his usage and underlying numbers, there aren't any clues as to what happened to him. Nobody knows. Uh, It's strange, you know, especially with the investment that Detroit made in him. You know that they probably wanted to give him every opportunity, but the fact that they're in a tight playoff race means that they're not going to force him anywhere if it's not working. Yeah, but that being said, if there's ever a time for him to have an opportunity on Detroit, now's the time, right? Zetterberg's gone for the season. They need to do something. Perhaps. There's a chance. And, you know, they'd like nothing more for him to be the guy that they thought they signed. But I wouldn't be holding my breath. I'm leaving him in the free agent pool for now. Right. Maybe not a must-add, but... As, you know, I feel like people have said for a while now, put him on your watch list, see what happens. You know, he could potentially be the type of player who ends up getting, you know, top power play minutes on Detroit. That's not unheard of. And usually that's hard to get in your free agent pool so late in the season. Yeah, I don't know. Over his last 43 games, he's barely averaging one shot on goal a game, which doesn't scream anything useful to me because a guy like him, if he's not putting up points and he's not putting up shots, he's doing nothing. I like to have at least my risky guys in fantasy hockey that I pick up as like taking a flyer on or a sleeper. I like them to have at least one category in which they can contribute. And he's like zeros across the board. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's just, I don't know, maybe it's nostalgia. It's like Stephen Weiss. He's good, but maybe not anymore. We'll find out. So I'll just list off a bunch of other players that are expected to come back after the break. 
listeners, feel free to watch list these players, see how they do. I'm sure we'll talk about a few of them maybe next week. But okay, Matt Molson, Alex Burrows, Dave Boland, Victor Fast, Nick Bonino, Mike Green. It's a interesting time. Anyways, to be following the NHL. So that's one benefit of the Olympic break is all this exciting drama when it's over. Yeah, for sure. And I'm so excited for them to actually like come back and things to happen. You know, I don't know if this episode was the best time for me to debut that new catchphrase because I feel like with nothing to go on, with nothing new to go on for pretty much two weeks now, there is like only speculation that we can do. But next week, or maybe the week after, because we'll have a better sample size, we will finally be able to return to pure prognostication. As opposed to speculation. Correct. All right. I'm looking forward. But okay, for the last time, let's talk about the Olympics. We have a Keeping Carlson Olympic pool. So I guess everyone's wondering who won the pool. Well, I guess there's still one game left, but who's winning the pool? And what are some surprising results in the different boxes? Sure. Well, let's go from the bronze medal position up. Actually, you know what? Let's go from fourth place up because, Elon, that's where you are. The Toronto Chalupa Batmans with two games remaining to be scored sit in fourth. The Flamingos, me, sit in the bronze medal position two points ahead. Second place are the IKEA Meatballs, even with two injured players, doing pretty well. And running away with it might go post to post. Claker MacArthur <laughs> should be on Team Canada. The typo for the win. The typo the typo for the win. I, I'm really impressed. You know, usually you see a lot of change. I mean, if you look at actually last week, you know, we gave props to Fuzzy Slippers for being up there, but they've fallen all the way down to 12th. There's been a lot of shifting in the standings, although some of the teams towards the bottom have sort of stayed around there anyway. So, but thanks for coming out, everybody. Um, but let's see, what did we get right? Because, you know, we can look at each box, see what the consensus was, and see what we got right and what we got wrong. I'll start again with what we got right, and I'm going to warn you in advance, we got a lot less right as a group, not just me or Elon, but as a group, we got a lot less right than we did wrong. But I guess that's the nature of like a seven-game tournament where you can't really predict what's going to happen. One of the biggest victories for everyone in the pool was James Van Riemsdyk outplaying Anza Kopitar, Marin Hossa, and David Krejci. Phil Kessel destroyed Daniel Sedin. Alex Radulov was the best non-premier Russian forward, although I guess by the end of the tournament, you can say that he was the premier Russian forward. Eric Carlson led the tournament in defensive scoring, which a lot of us predicted. And Oli Mata, a lot of us predicted that he would be a standout on the Finnish blue line. Okay, yeah, so far every player you've mentioned is someone who Claker MacArthur had. So that's clearly a reason why he's ahead. But you're saying this was the consensus with a lot of people. Tell us some of the surprises or boxes that most people got wrong. Sure, I'm going to start with two people that nobody picked but led their boxes by a handy margin. The first in the first box with Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin, the leader was Nicholas Backstrom. Nobody thought that would happen. Nobody picked him. That could have been the difference between, you know, gold or silver medal in our pool. Too bad. David Backus, zero people picked. He outplayed Henrik Zetterberg, who got injured, and Corey Perry both handily. One bright light picked UC Jokinen, knew that he would do better than Kunitz, who has zero points, like everyone took Kunitz. That was really unfortunate. Uh, a lot of people picked Zach Parisi. Alex Steen outplayed him. Michael Granlin destroyed his box TJ Oshie was the consensus pick there. On the Canadian blue line, Alex Petrangelo was outplayed by Kevin Shattenkirk, who few people picked. Petrangelo 
was the clear consensus. And a lot of people also picked P.K. Subban. And I feel like anyone who picked him was kind of screwed because he played one game and wasn't able to do a whole lot. In fact, anyone who picked a lot of Canadians, such as myself, I feel like maybe that might have been the weak spot. We didn't know going into the tournament that they were going to go into a defensive shell and frustrate poolies everywhere, I think. I don't think anybody would assume that the country with arguably the most offensive firepower, maybe second to Russia, goes into a defensive shell and play stay-at-home hockey for most of the tournament. Yeah, I guess one exception, though, might be Drew Doughty. He definitely got a ton of points. He did, and it's interesting to see because he did this also in Vancouver, and I feel like him and Jeff Carter, it's sort of clear that L.A. is stifling them, and they're better offensive players than they're able to show in L.A., so I don't think they'll ever get traded, but they are underrated in their offensive talent. All right, well, thanks for the update, Brian. Congratulations to Claker MacArthur. So let's end it there. Our final Olympic somewhat podcast. I'm really happy that next week we're going to get back to NHL play, though I think we've definitely given you, the listeners, lots of players to think about and lots of advice on how you can move forward. We'd love to hear what you think about this advice, if you've taken it. If you haven't, why not? We want to know. So you could tweet at us, at Keeping Carlson. You can email us, keepingcarlson at gmail.com. Also, you can check out our website, keepingcarlson.com. We always post our show notes there, including any links that we reference. Also, I know I say it every week. I feel like not many of you are doing this, so shame on you, but we'd really appreciate it. I'm just kidding. Not shame on you. Thank you for listening. But if you want to do us an extra favor, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. It takes two seconds, and it really helps give our show some attention. You know, I know you don't want to give our show any attention to people in your pool, but giving us a five-star review on iTunes, they're not going to notice. They're dumb. They don't listen to podcasts. That's why you're ahead. But with that, let's cue that outro music, and Brian, please read us the credits. For most of our episodes, but not quite this one, we usually reference Extra Skater, Left Wing Lock, Behind the Net, Dauber Hockey, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Elon, I'm so excited for NHL hockey to start again. Yeah, well, me too. My fantasy playoffs are starting when the NHL comes back. So you're going down, Mr. Slippery Hooker, who unfortunately owns Paul Martin and Matt Zuccarello, though I own Henrik Zetterberg. So we're both going into it limping, but it's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Great talking to you, Brian, and we'll talk to you next week. Good luck, everybody. <laughs>